Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. I am. What a powerful statement that is. I am. I am everything. And that's what the series is about. And if you're new to Journey, we want to say welcome. You actually can go back and watch last week where we talked about I am the bread of life. And this week, as Caleb's already talked, we're going to be talking about I am the light. And it's interesting to me because most of us in this room, if we were honest with one another, we understand the contrast between darkness and light, don't we? Like we understand how dark is like, and we understand what the light brings. Anybody, like just the last couple of days has been kind of gloomy, right? It's like a little rainy and like, I don't like any of that, but but yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden, the skies parted. I don't know, like, I stepped outside for about an hour, just like soaking up the sunshine. It made me feel warm inside. It made me feel good. That's what light does to us. But darkness, on the other hand, does something just the opposite, doesn't it? Darkness, a lot of times in our lives, takes us to a dark place, a, 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 a bitter place, a place of resentment, a place of problems. Uh, I understand this real um, because of something that happened several years ago. Um, I was at hunting camp. And if you don't know much about me, I love to hunt and fish and play golf. I, I kind of like hanging outdoors. It's just kind of something I like to do. But we were at hunting camp. And it was down in South Georgia. And uh, we do what normal hunting camp people do. We, we had a fire and we cooked out some steaks and burgers and all that kind of stuff. And I think some of the guys down there probably had a couple too many adult beverages and they wanted to go out for a ride in the golf cart. Now, hopefully nobody in this place has ever done that. But in the middle of the night, 1.30, 2 o'clock in a golf cart uh, with guys that may have had a couple you know, beverages is probably not the safest thing to do. We got about a mile, a mile and a half from camp and our battery in our golf cart went out. And so it is absolutely pitch black outside. I don't know how many people have ever been down the Savannah River uh, area when it's dark and it gets foggy and all that. And I was out of my mind. Like on the outside, I have a rough, you know, manly exterior, but on the inside, I was squealing like a girl. Like I was like, oh my God, we're going to die. And so we're doing all, and we're up and down and it was dark. And you ever notice when it's dark, you see reflections and you see shadows and you, I mean, just the, it's as dark we saw a possum and it looked like Sasquatch. That's how big it was. It was huge. It, was, it, had, to be, it had to be this big. I mean, and, and so everything seems to be exaggerated in the darkness. And so here we are, they're getting a mile, mile and a half from camp. And all we had was our little flashlights on our iPhones, which are useless, like when you're really trying to get back to anywhere. And we were spinning around in circles probably for about, I don't know, a long time, maybe seven or eight minutes. And the crisis of the moment took over our lives, the darkness, the, the shadows, the, the reflections. And it was that moment right there that one of us looked up and off in the distance, a mile, we saw this bright light and it was the campfire that we had started. And it was just, it was that moment right there where we were drawn back to safety. We were drawn back to a place that we knew that we were comfortable. And we all get around the campfire and we laughed for a little while. And then we went back and got the golf cart and Everything seemed to be fine. And it was in that moment right there that I really understood what lots, lots of people go through. Because if we were to be honest with one another, a lot of our lives seem like that we're living in darkness, that we're living in fear, and we're living in the shadows of what the world wants to throw our way. And, and, and many of us, maybe if we, we, we wouldn't admit it to one another, but a lot of us would say that it's those moments in life that scare me the most. It's that darkness. When God's called us to light, but it's in that, that dark moment. 
And, and, and listen, it's, it's, it's easy to understand why our whole entire culture is going that direction, isn't it? And, and I said something, I had a funeral this past week, and at the funeral I said something, because it's amazing to me with all the darkness, and there's light in the world too, but with all the darkness, I don't know how people that don't have hope make it through life. People that don't have Jesus, I don't know how they make it, when they don't have any clarity or direction, how do they, how do they make it through life? And see, when I talk about darkness, that's what I'm talking about. Lots of people in the world that we live in don't have clarity. They, they don't have a purpose. They, don't, they, haven't, they haven't sensed uh, uh, anything substantial in their life. Maybe in years and on the inside, it's just utter darkness. But, but God offers to us these I am statements. He says, I am the light. But the culture continues to go one direction. And, and this is my prayer. I, I pray that at some point or another that our culture realizes that the things that they're chasing after are going to lead them just to darkness. That honestly, just be honest, right? Like those that have put their hope in government and, and government officials, that's going to lead them down the same road. It's going to lead them to darkness. The, 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 the government was never designed, and this is not about government. It's not about how bad the government, the government was never designed to bring light into our lives. Just to be honest, the media, like there used to be a day where there was, there was this kind of bipartisan, but not, it's all slanted one way or the other right now. But the media wasn't designed in any way to do that. And what I'm learning is lots of the people in our culture are living without clarity and they're living without hope. So what can we do? What what can we do about it? And then we do this series here at this place called Journey, and it's these I am statements, which are definitive statements. There's no question. I am the bread. I'm, I'm not a piece of bread. I'm not a loaf, one of the loaves of bread. I am the bread of life. And anybody that, that partakes of this bread will never hunger again. That's a bold statement. And Jesus says in today's, is, he says, I am, I am the light. I am not a light. I am the light. I am everything. And it's interesting to me, as, as we talked about last week, that there's this teaching moment that Jesus does. And, and sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's just a, this, you know, a, a, a dealing with humanity situation. And then he makes this bold statement. Last, last week, it was the feeding of the 5,000. And then he said, I'm the bread of life. And they were understanding completely today as we look at the story. And if you want to put, uh, open your Bibles to John 8, this is where we're going to land today. It's a story that a lot of us that we grew up in church, or if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. But I have never heard in all the years that I've been a believer, 30 plus years, I've never heard anybody take the passive scripture that, that, that directly follows it and says that we can link these two together. It's a story of the woman that gets caught in adultery. And she's sitting there with, with her accusers ready to throw stones. And then Jesus says, I am, I am the light of the world. Well, let, let's read it. It says in verse 3 of John chapter 8, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded uh, for us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Again, they're trying to catch him in a lie. And I don't know if you've noticed this through your readings of scripture, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people are constantly trying to find a loophole around Jesus or get Jesus caught in something. And so again, these, they're trying to catch him. And it says, as they continued in verse seven to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, just stop for a second. Because years ago, I did a message that Jesus is still writing in the sandbox. 
And it's interesting to me, I don't know what he wrote. Nobody knows what he wrote, but I have a feeling he started writing their sins in the sand. And that one by one, they were looking at the sins because he said, who's the accusers? And, 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 and then where are your accusers now that I've, I've kind of pointed them out? And, and it's interesting to me because Jesus is setting this woman up to let her understand that her past is not going to define her future. But somehow or another in this process, Jesus is going to also teach her another lesson. And I think so, a lot less than 2,000 years later. So once more in verse 8, he bent down to the ground, but when he heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus left them alone and women standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. And, against, and again, Jesus spoke to them and saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's literally drawing this comparison. You have been walking in darkness. You've been having these affairs. You've been doing this thing that you know is wrong, but now start to walk in the light. I love it the way Jesus calls her sin out, but not the sinner out. Do you ever think about that? He calls the sin out, but he loves the sinner. It's the same way thousands of years later. It's not the sinner that Jesus is mad at. It's the sin that we're doing that, 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 that separates us from him. And Jesus says, this is important that we understand this. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So I want you to write this down. This is kind of the baseline for everything else we're going to talk about today. That in light of everything that's going on in the world, everything that we see on TV, everything that's on social media, the problems with the world, the things going on in Ukraine, all that, Jesus is still the light of the world. He hasn't stopped being the light. Then we've walked away from that light and we've, we've walked toward darkness as a culture. We've even intentionally, I think some people have intentionally walked away from God. But he's still the light of the world. It's interesting. Um, I, I do a lot of reading and I read stuff that sometimes is kind of obscure and sometimes it's on the, kind of the fringe of Christianity just to, to kind of have a broader scope and a broader spectrum of what, what I believe. But years ago, a couple books came out by a guy by the name of Lee Strobel that were right dead in the center. And he did a case for Christ and a case for Christianity and a case for community. Well, I don't know if you know the story. And if you don't, it's okay. I'll share it in short. But, but Lee Strobel's was an atheist. That means he did not believe in God. He worked for the Chicago Tribune. He was actually getting ready to produce an article that he was working on his master's degree. And he was trying to disprove faith. He was trying to disprove Jesus Christ. He literally says, in the midst of all this, I came to the realization that the Jesus I was trying to disprove, I actually was proving that he was in fact who he said he was. He coined the phrase, you either you understand him that he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or in fact, he's the Lord of all. And it was a moment in time where he was writing this thesis that he realized he was Lord of all. But all through the course of his life, he had, he had, he had kind of talked and interviewed uh, other people that were atheists. One was a guy by the name of Charles Templeton who did not start out as an atheist. As a matter of fact, if you've been around the church world any length of time, you've probably heard the name of Charles Templeton. He's wrote hundreds of books, but he was also one of the favorite speakers of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham and him would do revivals and crusades with 10,000 people. But then all of a sudden he started questioning. And I remember reading the book as Lee Strobel brought a point out that it doesn't, it's not a sin to question. It's actually a good thing. It takes our values and turns them, our, our convictions and turns them into values. But he started interviewing Charles Templeton, and in the interview process, we found out that he wrote a book, and the book was Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. So this great dynamic preacher now is an atheist. He's walked away from Christ. And this is what he says in his book. 
He was the greatest human about Jesus Christ. He was the greatest human being who ever lived. A moral genius, the wisest person I've ever encountered in my life. And he says this, everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Somebody could say amen to that. Because up to that point, up to that point in my life, without getting involved and understanding who Jesus was, everything was not pure. Everything was not good. Everything was not righteous. Everything was not holy. As a matter of fact, I was wandering aimlessly through life until I found Jesus, until the light of Christ lit up my path to take me to the place I am today. See, that's what it means when we say the light of, the light of, the light of God or, or Jesus is the light, that everything good, he lights up. Everything good, he demonstrates. Everything that's good, we understand. That's why he says again, and Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the Lord. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. See, Jesus has brought light to so many different things. I want you to think about your own personal life for a second, okay? I'll tell you about it in my life. Some of the biggest things that I've learned through Jesus that, he, that he's, he's brought the light on, he's put the spotlight on is loving your enemies. Somebody asked me a question yesterday, and I was very hesitant to answer because apparently there's somebody out there that thinks it's a great idea to blast me. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not their friend. Probably never will be. So why haven't you retaliated? Because Jesus' word brings the light how I'm supposed to treat my enemies. How about forgiveness? How about forgiveness? Let's talk about it for a second. Do you know forgiveness is holding somebody captive and the person that's holding captive is you? That person, that other person that you're, you're holding that grudge, they don't even probably know that you're holding a grudge. How about the way we treat strangers? Now, this came, became reality for me this past week. I was playing golf on Thursday with a buddy of mine. And in front of us was this guy that decided that every hole he was going to take five or six, seven, 10, 20 shots. Now, if you know anything about me, if you've ever been out hanging out on the golf course or anything in life, I do everything fast. I don't have neutral and I don't have reverse. So I am flying. I walk up to the ball. I hit the ball. I go to the ball. I hit the ball. I go to the ball. I'm done with, I'm, I can play 18 holes in two and a half hours. Well, there was this guy holding me up and I was, I kept kind of creeping up like he's going to let us play through. And I kept creeping up and I was kind of putting the, like I was getting ready to spin him out, you know, like the NASCAR driver. I was going to, I was going to spin him out a little bit, like, you know, Robin's racing kind of deal, but I decided not to do this. So we pull up and, and I'm looking at the guy and the guy goes, Hey, Pastor Bobby, how you doing? <laughs> now that was Thursday. You would have thought I would have learned my lesson yesterday. Same golf course, same area. This guy's in front of us. And he's He's probably here right now. He comes to journey. He had, he had white pants and a blue shirt on. I was like, man, he's awful. <laughs> uh, he's all over the place. Now, not that I'm some kind of like pro or anything, but like, I was like, good Lord, hit the ball. Please, forward, forward, hit the ball forward. Pull up. And he, the, the guy I'm playing with walks up and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? Good. And he goes, is that Pastor Bobby playing with you? I'm like, oh, my gosh. I learned how to deal with strangers because they may be church people. <laughs> you know what else he taught me? Hey, somebody should say amen to this one right here. That, that my past doesn't define me. Amen. That my past doesn't define who I am. And that's the story of the woman that got caught in adultery. 
Jesus was saying, I'm the light of the world and your past doesn't define your future. You are not what everybody thinks you are. You're going to be brand new. That's why he says, go and sin no more. You have a changed lifestyle. See, when we understand that Jesus is the light of the world, everything good flows through him. Everything good that we understand in life. Flows through him. Let me give you a second thing, because this is, this is really important. Following Jesus fills your light and your life with light. Now, anybody ever been on a plane? Anybody? Plane, plane, raise your hand. So, do you know on the airlines, like, except for third world countries, um, it doesn't seem like they have any of this, but lights. Do you ever see the lights? And I just assumed, honestly, I just assumed that those lights were just merely, merely cosmetic. Like, because they have all the, like, I mean, what is it? What's the point? The guy, the pilot gets in there and he flips on autopilot, right? And he drinks a cup of coffee and he's hanging out playing cards in the front, like, and he comes out and smiles at you and says, you know, thanks for flying, whatever, you know, whatever, right? But apparently those lights have a purpose. And I found out the purpose about three years ago. For those who don't know, we have a mission that we work with in Haiti. And there was a time we were taking five and six trips to Haiti. And um, I remember when we had a hurricane and it was a really bad hurricane and hundreds of people died down there. And, but it, it kind of went right through one of the areas that we go to. And, and, and I felt it just inclined. My, my heart was pounding. Do you ever have that moment where God speaks to you and you know you got to do something? And it was interesting. I didn't tell the first service, but I finally got down to Haiti after, after like a, a 22-hour plane flight to Haiti that usually takes three hours. But I got down there, and the first person that met me when we got to the village was a woman that just lost her baby. She literally, I've never had this happen before. I hope I never have it happen again. She unburied her baby and handed her baby, and she said, man of God, bring him back to life. And I was like, I ain't got that, right? But on the plane flight, we were flying over Port-au-Prince and it was right after the hurricane and electric, electricity went out. And I could, see, I could see the lights and all of a sudden the light shut off. And we, fl- we flew for about 45 minutes and like the, the, the guy says, we have enough gas to fly 30 more minutes. All like, you better not be flying 31 minutes then. <laughs> and so, you know, he comes over the loudspeaker and he said like, we're gonna, about to run out of gas. I'm like, well, you we need to get somewhere quick, let's go. And so they flew us to Santo Domingo, which is not a part of the U.S government. And so they made us sit in the plane for about two and a half or three hours with no air conditioning. And it's 105 degrees. It's burning up and people were stinking. And so I'm like, come on, we got to get the show on the road. Like we got to get there. I got things to do in Haiti and I had people waiting at Port-au-Prince to pick me up. Our team had already been there a day and a half and I was waiting to get there with the team. So we get back up in the airplane and we're, we're circling around the airport, circling around the airport. We see the lights and I'm like, well, that's cool. And about the time you could hear the landing gear come out, the light shut off again. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, circle around, circle around. And finally, after 45 minutes of circling around, they fly us into uh, Puerto Rico. And I have to spend a day in Puerto Rico, which was not that bad a gig. It was free. But, but it was one of those deals. You know, I, I realized that day that those lights are significant. There's a purpose to those lights. Hear me on this, please, everybody. I feel like the world is trying to tell us that those elementary and basic teachings that we teach in the Bible about how to love your neighbor as yourself and all those things, they're trying to somehow or another teach us that those aren't important anymore, and they are important. Just as important as those lights are, these teachings that are in the Bible, what, we, what some of us may seem as elementary teaching, those are things, they're, they're guardrails to take us where God wants us to go. And, and that's why it was interesting, I was reading a book on preaching and I, I want to be—I want to be a better preacher. I was learning about preaching. They said you should preach on the same, these same, some of these same subjects four and five times a year because we need to hear them, like love and Jesus and your neighbor and, and how to do all that stuff. 
these things that for some reason that the world has taken as almost as I had had the, the lights obsolete. We need to understand that Jesus still fills our life with light. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor the brightness shall be the moon, uh, the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. You see, I love that. You'll experience his everlasting light. Now, how do you do that? Can I give you two real basic things? The first thing is spending time in his word. I'm telling you, there's something about, can, can I just be as, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in Bible studies that we forget. And I, don't, I have nothing against Bible studies, but we get so wrapped up in Bible studies, we forget the elementary stuff in the, in the Bible that God wants us to learn. So we know all the lineage of whatever. We know the Romans road. We know all that stuff, but we forget that Jesus still loves us just the way we are. Amen. And so can I encourage us as a church? This is one of the things that I started doing back in January. It was part of my kind of my goals was I was going to read through the gospels continuously. I was going to read all the other stuff, but I was going to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what kind of things that I've learned in those things? I've learned to let my burdens, let my burdens go. That was something I learned. He brought light to that thing right there. That I, if I lay my burdens at his feet, he takes those burdens from me. Uh, he, he, uh, through reading of the gospels, I've learned that my sin is washed away. There's, there's elementary teachings. And when you spend time in the word, you see life as he means for us to see it. And can I kind of give you, give you another one too? Like this, is, this goes along. It's great that we read God's word and we should all be reading God's word. Everybody say amen to that. But not at the expense of spending time with him. Because there's lots of people that can read his word and know his word and can quote his word, but they're no more living like Jesus than that chair is. And, and, and when we spend time with the Father, that's when we learn his character. That's when he demonstrates his love for us. That's how we know how to take care of the people around us. So we, can, we, can, we need his word. But it's not one or the other, it's both. And you know what happens? I'm telling you, when we spend time with God and in his word, we learn so much about who he is and how, how he wants us to respond. I want to do a little exercise because the Psalms are filled with these, these demonstrations of who God is is. That's what Psalms really are. So lots of people that think that David and Moses are the only two writers of the book of Psalms, but there's actually a man by the name of Ethan that wrote several of the Psalms. And he wrote one of the Psalms that I'd like to read to you. I'm going to read it from the message, but I want to do this. I, I want you to, to just shut your eyes for a second. I just want you to sit and I want you to listen to these words, how Ethan describes God. And, 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 and is it the way you would describe him? Would you describe God the same way? And if, if you can't describe him in some of this similar verbiage, then do you really know God? And maybe we need to go back to the very beginning and go back, you know, something I'm going to start reading his word more. I'm going to start spending more time with him. So it's found in Psalms 89. It says, God, let, let the cosmos praise your wonderful ways. The choir of the holy angels sing anthems to your faithful ways. Search high and low, scan skies and land you'll find nothing and no one quite like God. The holy angels are in all before you. He looms immense in August and over everyone around him. God of the angels' armies, who is like you? Powerful and faithful from every angle. You put the arrogant ocean in its place and calm its waves when they turn unruly. You gave that old, old hag Egypt the back of your hand. You brushed off your enemies with a flick of your wrist. You're own, you own the cosmos. You made everything in it, everything from Adam to Archangel. You positioned the north and south poles, the mountains, Tabor and Hermon sing duets to you. With your well-muscled arm and your grip of steel, nobody messes with you. 
The right and justice are the roots of your rule. Love and truth are its fruits. Blessed are the people who know the passwords of praise, who shout on parade in the bright presence of God. Delighted, they dance all day long. They know who you are, what you do. They can't keep quiet. Your vibrant beauty has gotten inside us. You've been so good to us. We're walking on air. All we are and have, we owe to God, holy God of Israel, our King. Open your eyes. Is that the God that you know? Is that the God that, that you've gotten to know through the Gospels or through the reading of Scripture or through spending time? And if it's not, I would encourage you to go back and start doing that because that's the God of the universe. That's the one that wants to light our light up in our life. Let me give you the third thing. and We're going to close right here. We become, when we know the light, we become the light. Matthew chapter 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good work. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, he is the light of our world, but when we follow him, we reflect his goodness. Now, anybody know what a reflector is? Okay. So we, we actually all know what a reflector is. Philippians says it like this, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and twisted generations among you. You shine as lights in the world. That word light is actually a word albedo, which actually means a reflector. That means everything we see in the sky is a reflection of the sun. So when the sun shines on a planet, we see the planet, that's actually albedo. When we see a star, even the earth, when we see it from a distance, it's the albedo, it's the reflection now, in our, in our house, I live up in Appling, and we live kind of country, a little bit country. It gets really, really, really dark out there. So we have no street lights, which is fantastic, by the way. I can do anything I want to do. Almost. But one of the downfalls of my house is I have this kind of lengthy driveway. It's a little bit longer than normal driveway. And on either side of my driveway, I have ditches. And everybody seems to find the ditches. And um, a couple of years ago, we were watching a football game. It was the national championship game. And uh, I had a bunch of guys from the office over. And um, don't let Justin know I'm telling you this, but Justin ended in, uh, up in my ditch and, and drove out. And then a couple months later, we had a group of guys over. And one of the guys ended up in this big old pickup truck, ended up in my ditch. And I could tell he was in my ditch because he had a long, he had a long um, uh, 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 trailer hitch. And the trailer hitch drag went from one side of the ditch to the other side of the ditch. My wife walks outside and said, who was in the ditch? <laughs> so what we decided to do is put up reflectors. So we have reflectors on either side so nobody will go in the ditch. I'm finding out people don't pay attention. Even in the daytime, my sister ended up in the ditch Thanksgiving Day in the middle of the daytime. But you know what I found out about the reflectors? There has to be light shining on them or they don't work. And see, that's what happens in our lives. We become a reflection of God. We become the albedo of God. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't know how you got drawn to Christ, but I was drawn by what turned out to be my youth pastor in the long run. But he was a, he was a long-haired weird, weird drug addict dude. 
tattoos up. Oh, he looks like a lot of us. Tattoos up and down both arms, long hair. But I remember watching his life. I remember the day he walked an aisle at our church up in New Jersey and asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And I remember watching his life be flipped. He didn't cut his hair or get rid of his tattoos or any of that stuff. But there was something. He was reflecting something on the inside that everybody outside wanted to be like or everything else, everybody on the outside saw. He ended up being my youth pastor. His name was Jerry. And to this day, Jerry reflects the sun, the light. Wouldn't it be amazing if we reflected the light? That if people came in contact with us, they actually saw the Father and not saw us. That somehow or another, when they came in contact with us, they saw the Son of God, they saw the light of the world, and through the light of the world, the reflection, the albedo came across, and people could see it and notice it. See, this is what happens. People see the light. First John says it like this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Can, can I state an obvious statement right now? We live in a dark world. You know that? We live in a dark world. And I'm gonna tell you something, I don't think it's getting any brighter. Everything I see is kind of spiraling out of culture. Is there good things in culture? Yes. Is there good people in culture? Somebody said yes. But I think the further we get away from God, the darker it's going to get. And that's why it's that much more important that we reflect that in some way, somehow, our light shines bright. Anybody ever been to New York City? New York City. So a couple years ago, somebody from our church gifted us an apartment, their apartment that they, they lived up there, and we got to go. Now, I grew up about 45 minutes from New York, and I'd never gone to New York. And so I, it was a little overwhelming, the subway and the people that sit next to you, right? A little overwhelming, like, um, hello, personal space. But one of the things that was amazing to me is how that city literally, as Frank says, never sleeps. And we got downtown and we went to all the, the museums and it was probably 12, 31 o'clock. And it was just like there was as many people there as it was the middle of the day. Now, here was the thing that was kind of, it was just as bright in Times Square. Like you could not tell the difference between daytime and nighttime. That's how bright it was. And we did some research. I, I don't know like exactly uh, what this is and how much, but it's, it's 161 megawatts at one time of power. Now, the only way I could kind of fathom that is it's enough power to light up 161,000 houses. If you were to ever go out in Las Vegas, it's, it's, it's what two times the amount a normal casino would use in a day. They're using every minute. In, 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 and in Times Square, it lights up, and it's amazing to me. I, it was a great trip, but there's darkness right on the edge of the light, isn't there? But that, that Times Square area, bright as day. That's what God wants to do in us. That's what God wants to do in us in the world that we live in. It could be dark all around us. It could be shadows all around us. It could be reflections of, of all, the, all around us, but God has called us to be a beacon, a city on a hill that can't be quenched. It can't be put out. And that's our responsibility. Now, for the next couple of seconds, I want to talk to people just that know Jesus Christ, that you are a faith follower. Listen, 
If Jesus loves the people in the world, we should love the people in the world too. And we should be demonstrating that that love every chance we got. He doesn't say that we are only light to people that are light. He says light in the darkness. And somehow or another, we've got to get past just... So this past week, I wrote a little small blurb on Facebook. And if you're a Facebook friend, that's great. If you're not, it's no big deal. I like you anyway, maybe. But I posted about this whole concept of church. I had no, I wasn't talking about journey. And I literally said to somebody between services, it wasn't meant to guilt anybody. It was just, I realized that lots of people have been burnt out or burnt by church. Probably some people in this room right here been hurt. Okay. I'm one. I'm one. I didn't want to, I didn't want to ever get back into ministry because of something that happened at, at a church. But it was one of those deals where I said, for whatever reason, some of, and buddy of mine, Charles, he's a big fisherman. He, t- he texts me, I think it was Thursday, and he goes, man, this song has been on my heart. And I, I put it out, I'm going to read it in a second for those that didn't get a chance to read it. But when he sent that to me, you know what I realized? The church is not a building. It's not four walls. It's not brick and mortar. It's not electric stuff. It's not Bethany playing the keyboards. It's not Justin singing. That's all bit and parcel. That's all part and parcel of what the church is. The church is us. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, we can have church anywhere. Now, I love it, the fact that we have church on Sunday mornings here, okay? So don't stop coming to church on Sunday mornings. But you know what I realized? There's lots of people out in the world that want what you have. There's lots of people that want what you have. I said to a buddy of mine two weeks ago, I said, um, I said, man, why don't you ever come to church? He goes, you've never invited me. I said, that's, I got to pay to do this. How do I not? And so I said, what are you doing Sunday? And he goes, I'm coming to church because you're inviting me. And you know, the last Sunday where he was, he was right here. And you know what he did last Sunday? He asked Jesus to be a savior. Now I just, man, all I did was invite him. I gave, I gave, I gave him an invitation. It was actually an outdated invitation card. Like it was like Easter three years ago, like here. <laughs> Service times are a little different. I wrote, This is not meant to kill anybody. And this is actually going to create more problems at Journey. But we should be inviting people. If we believe that this place is faith-filled and that Jesus has preached higher than anything else, we should be inviting our friends that need what we have. There should be, there should never be a week that we haven't invited somebody to come to church. One of my best friends said, Bobby, come into Journey Coming to journey without a guest, without a friend, without inviting somebody should be like going on a date and not having a date with you. It's just awkward. It makes no sense. And, and, and where it's going to cause us problems is this service, especially, we only have so many chairs left over. Like right now we have a hundred middle school students. Like if you, and, and, and 50 or 60 leaders, if you get them back in here, we're filled in the service again. First service, same way. Second, third service, we have a little bit of space. But you know something? Let us worry about that. Well, we can figure out how to put chairs out, right? We want people in this community to hear the dangerous message of Jesus week after week after week. And we don't have to wait till Easter and Christmas Eve to do it. We could do it every week. And so this is what we're doing. We, we want to put a tool in your hand, okay? It's not, we'll do our part, you do your part. How's that sound? Okay, I'll make you a promise. When your friends come in here, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to embarrass you with, with silliness. I'll just say it that way, okay? 
We're going to preach Jesus. We're going to sing and glorify his name. We're going to read together. We're going to learn together. We're going to give together. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to take the world on together. How's that sound? So I'm going to make that promise to you. But your promise back to me is I'm going to invite, you're going to invite your friend and I'm going to invite my friends too. I'm not going to let it go years before I invite a friend. If I would have known him that easy, I'd be passing these cards out like poker, poker, you know, poker hand. But simple, you're invited. Now, how easy was that? You're invited. So after a service, the hosts are going to have a bunch, grab a bunch. And don't just take them to, you know, just don't go take them to Monterey's and stick them in the bathroom. And that, that's not great evangelism tool. What a great evangelism tool is you're inviting your friend that you've been praying about and asking God to open the door up that you would share that dangerous message of Jesus with. Amen? Let me read this and we're going to close right now. This is a song called Church, Take Me Back. And there again, it's not about a brick building. It's not about walls. It's about the people. There was a time that I swore I would never go back. I was blind to the truth, didn't know what I had. I was running, I was searching, but every place I turned for healing left me more broken than take me back to the place that feels like home to the people I can depend on to the faith that's in my bones take me back to a preacher and a verse where they've seen me at my worst the love I had at first oh I want to go to church people are longing for what we have and we can tell them that can we pray together I have a feeling, God, in this room or down in our Shorewood campus right now or online or over our atrium, there's people right here right now going, that's my, that's my song. That's my life song. I've been hurt, been discouraged, I've been blinded. I've watched the shadows. I've been in darkness. But when I come to church, I feel, feel the light. I feel the warmth. And though it's not perfect, God, the church is still the hope of the world. And we have the dangerous message that changes people's lives. God, I pray we would take that responsibility to be the light of the world, the reflection of you, God, that we would be that in the world we live in. And maybe there's people in this room that have never, ever, ever crossed that spiritual line. You've never, you've been drawn to the light, but you've never crossed that and understood what that means. God, my prayer today is all across this room, online, that people would be having conversations with you, the true light. That God, you would be drawing them in. The warmth of your love and your presence that you would be drawing them in. That God, that light would also illuminate the areas of our lives that are dark. That we would expose those things, God, and get closer to you. God, I pray for our church today, in the world that we live in, the dark, the darkness of, of, of our culture, God. God, I pray that we would be lights. I pray that you would put us in positions of darkness, God, to shine light. God, I pray that you would give us, you would give us favor in areas, in our schools, in our, in our, in our government, God, in our workplace, that you would give us opportunities to be light in a dark place. That ultimately what we would do is make your name famous. God, we pray these, all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, 
email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.